Welcome to the Arbitration Conversation with Amy Schmitz. Hello, and welcome to the Arbitration Conversation. So in this Arbitration Conversation, we're going to be talking with Paul Cohen. Um, this is going to be a really fun conversation. Not only is he is absolutely among the world's foremost international arbitration practitioners, um, highly experienced in international arbitration. He's done anti-bribery and fraud work. He heads the international group at four or five Grays in Square Chambers. He is called to the bars of New York and England and Wales. He's practiced for many years um, and has done some really huge cases. In fact, in February of 2022, Paul won a $15 billion award on behalf of his clients against Malaysia, to date the largest unconsolidated award in arbitral history. So um, needless to say, I could say a lot more. Um, Paul is absolutely a leader in the field. I feel incredibly lucky to have him on the arbitration conversation. So first of all, just thank you. Thank you. Thank you for taking time today with us. Well, thank you, Amy. My, my mother would believe every word of what you said. So thank you. <laughs> well, and the great part is you're also, um, you have a long-standing interest and expertise in technology and arbitration, and you're currently the president of the Silicon Valley Arbitration Mediation Center. So you are the perfect person to talk with about metaverse arbitration. Um, so first of all, I kind of just want to get a little bit of the backstory. What really sort of piqued your interest in technology and arbitration? I, I think, Amy, it was probably 10 years ago now that I was introduced to a, an aspiring uh, system. I say aspiring because I don't think it ever got off the ground, uh, whereby someone was going to set up an arbitral institution using essentially telepresence, the uh, Cisco telepresence, that very high definition video conferencing. And I got a look at it. And we're all used to Zoom and all that sort of stuff now. Uh, but 10 years ago, seeing this very high definition video conferencing in the context of an arbitration or a potential arbitration was a real eye opener. Uh, and it started to get me thinking about all the ways in which we might uh, deviate from what you what we think of as the platonic ideal of of arbitration and arbitration hearings, which is, or at least big arbitration hearings uh, as they currently are, which is everyone sits in a room somewhere in some conference center or some arbitral institution in some place uh, and talks to each other in person. Are there other ways, not necessarily better ways, but other acceptable ways of doing things? So that's really what got me going uh, in technology and arbitration. Yeah, you know, I share that interest on sort of, and even we can go back um, thinking about Second Life and sort of ideas around holding arbitration in Second Life. And, and we think, wow, that seemed really futuristic, but fast forward and here we are and we have the metaverse. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, so <laughs> first of all, did you ever think about, um, do you remember Second Life? I, I I do. I was never a. Uh, I never had an avatar or anything like that. I was I was never into it, but I I do remember it quite well, and and I was intrigued by by the prospect of it, and and I guess you're you're exactly on point with the metaverse because I mean that's this is exactly what is, yeah. This is this is third life, if you will. Uh, this is the next. This is the next stage. 
So if you were sort of, you know, painting a picture, because I mean, we can also think about, and before we started taping, we were talking a bit about Star Trek or some sort of, you know, mm-hmm. kind of the beam me up Scotty, right? So giving these mm-hmm. opportunities to perhaps um, deal with the costs and, um, and environmental concerns and other issues that come with travel um, in order to go to an arbitration. So having this idea, you know, of maybe a virtual space for arbitration does seem pretty exciting. I wondered if I could get your thoughts on, you know, if you were to sort of create the perfect metaverse arbitration, um, if you could explain for listeners kind of what would that look like? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, um, uh, thank you for the Star Trek shout out. I, I can I cannot go in, in any interview or conference without mentioning Star Trek in, in some capacity or other. Uh, I, I think uh, sticking with science fiction for a moment, most definitions or depictions of the metaverse are a little bit dystopian. When you think of uh, Ready Player One, the, the book or the movie, uh, the, the metaverse itself, that fictional world in the, in the goggles and the suit is great, but the real world kind of sucks. Uh, and, you know, the same, the same uh, is true through uh, in Neil Stevenson's own invocation, original invocation of this, uh, of, the, of, the, of the term. Um, and indeed William Gibson's whole sort of cyberpunk stuff. Star Trek differs a little bit, in at least in the next generation. Uh, the, the metaverse at issue is probably uh, what's called the holodeck, which is this, as it suggests, a, a holographic recreation uh, of pretty much anything you want. Uh, we're obviously at least centuries away from that. But my ideal metaverse, I think, would be able to reproduce as much of the in-person flavor and characteristic uh, uh, of the process of the experience as possible. Not necessarily because that's the best thing to do. I think eventually we'll, we'll, we'll come up with sort of metaverse specific things that are actually better than the original world, but rather because what we are conditioned to think of, again, as the platonic ideal, uh, of of arbitrations is people sitting in a room. And I think anyone who's sentient uh, pre-pandemic, so anyone over the age of you know, 10 or so, or, you know, just about, uh, will have grown up with a whole bunch of real world experiences in, in classrooms, schools, meetings, and so on and so forth. And, and that is our default. We query whether that's hardwired into our brains. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But I think that the most successful attempts to recreate the arbitration process in the metaverse will be those that uh, bring as much of that experience uh, as possible in terms of realism, in terms of movement, in terms of the ability to do what you would do uh, in a physical room, you know, get up and walk around, look around, um, see reactions on faces and so on and so forth. Yeah, I wonder what that would, you know, as you're talking, I'm sort of envisioning, um, you know, do you think it would avatars or would it need to be a hologram? I mean, what sort of... Well, yeah, uh, in, interesting question, because uh, as you as I'm sure you know, uh, and you, you may have tried it out. I've tried out the um, what used to be called you know, Facebook and uh, uh, the Oculus, which is now the Oculus Rift, which is called something else now, the Meta, something or other with Facebook's rebranding. 
And of course, on that, it's it's a very interesting experience. Um, and they've had one or two sort of arbitration conferences in the metaverse. And I think uh, uh, some of our friends and colleagues like Colin Rule have been involved in them. Uh, and I was in one of them as well. Uh, it, it, it is it is a really interesting experience uh, in terms of the physicality of it because you are you have goggles you have big goggles on so the the quote unquote real world is closed off to you and you can look around and it will recreate physical spaces for you so you will hear and see people talking at certain angles you can turn left you can turn right you can move yourself you can even write stuff down the problem is that you have as you said avatars and the particular avatars that I've seen so far, at least, uh, on, uh, I'm going to forget the name of this particular app, uh, but it's like, um, it's not called virtual meeting, but it's it's a virtual something or other. Uh, and it's generally the default that's, uh, that's available on, on, um, on the Meta platform, uh, is you can personalize an avatar, but the avatar inevitably will look about 12 years old. Now, even if you're bald and have a beard, uh, by have neither, but um, I've seen, for example, uh, the avatar of uh, Brandon Malone, who is bald and bearded, uh, and um, and he looks like a twelve-year-old bald and bearded Brandon Malone, and it, it's it's rather difficult, uh, I have to say, to take people too seriously with these glorified cartoons as avatars, even when they're saying extremely serious and sensible things, because it's obviously the real people talking. Uh, there's a bit of a disconnect right now, at least uh, in, in my mind, there's a cognitive dissonance. Maybe we'll get used to it. Uh, yeah. Maybe, in fact, maybe, in fact, it's a good thing, because rather than making sort of subconscious assumptions of, oh, well, there's this uh, gray haired white man, isn't he, um, you know, isn't he respectable? And shouldn't we listen to everything he says? Uh, maybe the, the cartoonification uh, to coin a phrase, of uh, of the participants in an arbitration will actually let us let go of some of those uh, inbuilt biases and assumptions. But right now, I'm just telling you, my, my reaction is I can't take it seriously. I need to see uh, something that looks a bit more like the real human being. Yeah, you know, I I had a conference as well where um, I was an avatar and you know, and and it was fun, right? Because it was kind of cartoonish and you give them a hat and whatever else. But but to your point, you know, you don't quite take it as seriously as you do um, when, of course, you're looking at the person. Um, but then to the other point, which I really think is important, is perhaps you know more of an even playing field um, because of the fact that you are. Um, there by an avatar, but but it'll be interesting to see sort of also. Um, I'd love your your thoughts on some of them when you're using the goggles. It can almost be creepy. Um, do you have any thoughts on that? Do you think it would not be sufficiently sort of real in order, especially if you're talking about a billion dollar um, a case involving a great deal of money? Yes. I mean, I think, again, that's a kind of bias that we may or may not be able to get over. I, I have to say with the uh, arbitration that you mentioned uh, the, 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 that I did the, the, uh, involving Malaysia, the hearing took place on, on Zoom because uh, it was in 2021. It, it just had to. And that took some getting used to uh, where that kind of uh, that kind of financial stake is an issue. So. I, I think there's, I don't know if creepiness is the right word for it, but again, let me let me fall back on, on, on dissonance. I think until we've 
and unless we've started to do it, it, it will feel weird. And there are practical considerations, such as the fact that the goggles are, at least in my experience, none too comfortable. And I don't know how long people will want to wear them and, and they'll start to feel goggle sick uh, after a while. I certainly do after about half an hour or, or 45 minutes of, of wearing goggles in, in some meta world, I, I have to take them off because uh, I'm discombobulated. Again, that may just be me, uh, but there are aspects to the experience in its current form that I think I, uh, need to be improved and I'm sure will be improved as the goggles become lighter, the technology becomes a smoother, uh, you know, much the same way that, you know, big cathode ray tube TVs got replaced by nice, smooth, silky 4D, 4K, whatever they are, um, flat screen TVs. I, I'm sure we'll move in that direction in the next few years. And it may be, I don't know, with respect to holograms and the like, and more realistic depictions of people, it may be that AR or augmented reality eventually supplants VR as the default mode of interaction in the arbitral hearing space, because it gives us some more flexibility and we could all, for example, I'm making this up, but you could imagine how a center like the New York International Arbitration Center might have a room, or let me step back. You've seen, or you may have seen the Cisco telepresence centers that I was uh, talking about, uh, alluding to at the beginning. They exist all over the world and they look more or less identical, uh, or there are rooms which look more or less identical. So the idea is that when you're in one room in Tokyo, you can be in another room in Timbuktu, and you look as though you are sitting across the table from each other when you're actually across the world. And it may be in similar vein that we have rooms that develop uh, that look more or less identical, that recreate that experience for you in some kind of hybrid mixed reality. I'm not sure that's a metaverse, to be fair, but, uh, but it, it, it may be a solution that we look to in the next five to 10 years. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think that what we can even imagine now is nothing in comparison to what will exist five years from now. Um, you know, I think it's sort of a drop in the bucket in terms of just we could have advances that we just never really fully considered at this point, um, how quickly things mm -hmm. in the world of um, of technology. But but it also brings me to the, another thought or question. Um, do you see any concerns about sort of a new digital divide, meaning, um, you know, certain law firms, certain um, where they will have all the bells and whistles, but not everybody can afford that? Yeah, uh, this is, of course, a, a, a variant of the equality of arms. Um, question uh, an ethical issue and I have to say maybe I'm maybe I'm glib maybe I'm just not very ethical or not very thoughtful uh, I, I'm, I suspect it's maybe because I practice as a counsel exclusively and, and not as a neutral not as an arbitrator I've never been terribly troubled by that argument both in the abstract and the practicalities uh, in the abstract there is nothing to stop one party uh, from having uh, uh, an army of the biggest, baddest lawyers and the other side from, you know, having some poor schlub like me, uh, you know, struggling alone uh, for, for his or her uh, client. Um, so um, it's a bit sharper in the technological realm, uh, but I can only imagine, 
I, I think there are two, two, two ways to address it. Number one is, I think it's more of an issue for applications such as artificial intelligence and part 1B, I'm being very loyally here. Uh, answer 1A, it's probably more of an issue in, in artificial intelligence. Answer 1B, I think we might find that some of this technology actually serves as an equalizer or could serve as an equalizer uh, in the sense that some of these applications uh, will provide some computer-powered uh, oomph uh, to redress some of the imbalances that you might find in my hypothetical scenario you know, without the uh, without the technology where you have the army of lawyers uh, on one side and the little guy or gal on the other side. Uh, part B of the answer is I, I don't know how much when we're talking about virtual arbitration and metaverses, how much of that is necessarily going to arise in that particular context, simply because I can only imagine that if you're going to do arbitrations in this way, everyone's going to have to agree on the platform or at least have access to the platform uh, and yes obviously if you have some high-tech access that lets you practice with your witnesses uh, 300 times and someone else only gets to do it on the day at the margins there are those issues of of technology and access um, otherwise however I, I i'd like to accentuate the positive which is uh, it's easier and at a certain level it'll be easier and cheaper to have this equipment uh, and meet in a neutral virtual space rather than everyone schleps to uh, Singapore. I don't I don't mean to pick pick Singapore out. You know, everyone schleps to New York or Singapore or wherever, uh, and um, uh, <clears throat> that that's more or less expensive. And uh, uh, you can bring fewer lawyers uh, if you have less money, and so on and so forth. So so I think it I think it will shake out in the end and may actually be as you alluded to kind of an advantage in terms of cost uh, and and effort and certainly in terms of timing. Right. Yeah, I actually I do agree with you. I always have to ask the question, but I also my view is that technology creates a new tool. You know, it's not going to be right for every type of case or person or party, but um, but it's a new tool. Right. And it's the way that we use it. Um, and it kind of brings me to another sort of point tying together a couple of threads you mentioned earlier about Zoom arbitration. And, um, and you know, I wonder the question, because I remember back in the day, there were a lot of arguments that uh, Second Life, in fact, there were law firms that set up shop in Second Life. And uh, they thought, oh, yeah, they're going to start having cases in Second Life. And it never happened. Um, and, and I wonder with Zoom and knowing that online hearings have become very prevalent. Um, and uh, do you think that we will even actually move to a metaverse arbitration um, in light of the fact that we actually have um, video that has been quite successful? And certainly in the pandemic, we've seen how successful what I call OR of online arbitration is. Um, and, uh, and so I wonder, do you think we will actually kind of make the leap from online hearings to actually virtual hearings using uh, the metaverse? It's it's a fair question. Um, I will give you my, my, my one of my favorite quotations uh, from Niels Bohr, the physicist, predictions are hard to make, especially about the future. Uh, so um, I, I suspect that the circumstances in which the metaverse might take over 
what you might call the more standard 2D format that we've now become comfortable with um, will we'll be in two circumstances. One, when and if, I think probably more likely when, the, the metaverse becomes such a comfortable everyday recreation of so much of what we do every day that we say to ourselves, hang on a second, why are we bothering with uh, the Zoom calls and looking at screens and stuff like that when we can all put on our uh, special Apple goggles or Facebook goggles or what have you. Uh, and then there may be an issue with interoperability between the, you know, that, that may be a fight, but whatever. Let's assume we have a nice neutral platform that, you know, uh, iPhones, iPhones can call Android phones and you know, eye glasses can communicate in metaverses with Android glasses. Um, and and we've, we do it so much all the time socially uh, that we feel it makes more sense to do it in that context in, in arbitration. In other words, what, you know, just another recreation of of our everyday life. Uh, I think that's one circumstance in which it will happen, which then raises the question how soon before that happens uh, itself. And that's, I, I would say, I think Apple is looking at its glasses, I think coming out in 2023, I think there'll be sort of augmented reality glasses again, rather than pure virtual reality. But, but uh, I think Apple tends to set the trend in terms of it may not always be the first to do these things, but then usually is a, a game changer in terms of its style uh, as much as its substance. Uh, just as you know, the iPhone obviously changed everything and then the iPad. Um, so that is one circumstance. The other circumstance, and, I, and I'm, I'm treading on really thin ice here because I know much less about it. Uh, because it's already happened in other contexts, but like you were talking about second life arbitrations, it's entirely possible that uh, as people start to populate the metaverse and as you start to have transactions, you already have transactions in the metaverse, you know, people can buy accoutrements for their avatars and buy real estate, so on and so forth, there will be disputes about the metaverse, right? And those disputes are logically resolved, I suspect, in the metaverse. You could, in theory, get together in person in a hearing room in New York or Singapore and talk about how you lost a billion dollars in a real estate transaction uh, for a virtual space. But it would make sense, more sense, surely, to do that in the metaverse itself and give you more idea of, of what you're doing. And surely the people who are complaining about it would have some comfort uh, in that medium. So I think those are the that's the circumstance in which it might happen sooner yeah. than the first circumstance. Yeah, that's kind of my feeling. And to your point earlier, also, you know, kind of it depends on what people become comfortable with. You know, I could absolutely see if you, for example, are a very avid gamer and you're continually kind of playing games and you're acting in the metaverse as part of your regular day life, it would absolutely make sense, you know, that you would also resolve your disputes in that same forum. Um, you know, we talk a lot, obviously, in ADR about fitting the forum to the fuss. And mm -hmm. when we get to online dispute resolution, I think we have to consider fitting the technology to the fuss. And uh, mm -hmm. I could see this being a brave new world, as they say, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, exactly, exactly. Uh, yes, and um, I, I think gaming is is exactly the, um, uh, the, the, the place where you will find the cutting edge of all this technology at, from from the internet 
uh, onward, really. Uh, alas, the I say alas, the two things where you find the more, uh, you know, the most sophisticated advances I found, in, in, you know, in this sort of gaming and, again, alas, pornography, uh, at least in the early 90s, uh, those were the places that, that, that sort of took off with the Internet. Um, I do remember actually doing a virtual reality game about 30 years ago. Uh, it was obviously not very sophisticated at all, but I was sort of standing in a circle, uh, in a semicircle in an arcade with a the big helmet on. Uh, and there was all, already some 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 thought to how this would all work. And, and of course, some of the 2D games are all thought, you know, are arguably metaversal. Um, Fortnite is the one that that everyone mentions. Uh, although precious little relationship to arbitration, I would hope. Yeah, yeah, super interesting. Um, yeah, it'll be very interesting to see where this goes, you know, um, and maybe we will get to a point where we can sort of beam me up, um, Scotty, and end up in a different wherever you want to be, <laughs> which be would fun. certainly help with uh, flight delays and cancellations. <laughs> that, yes, that would be nice. Yeah. <laughs> I, I well, partic particularly this summer, actually, uh, like, like many yeah. people, I've, uh, you know, waiting for my luggage or standing in a very long line at the airport, I thought to myself, gosh, would someone please invent uh, the transporter room? Or at least, you know, can, can I put some glasses on and transport myself to the beach? Oh, uh, that would be fantastic. Really, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Listen, I, this has been really fun. I absolutely appreciate your thoughts and appreciate this conversation. And um, thank you for all the work you do in the field. So thank you so much for taking time on the arbitration conversation. I know um, I really enjoyed this discussion and we hope our listeners do as well. Thanks so much, Amy. It was a pleasure to be here. This podcast was brought to you by Arbitrate.com. For more information about Arbitrate.com's programs and content, please visit our website at www.arbitrate.com.